Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Future Food Weekly Live. I'm Sonali, your co-host, and with me is Steve Molino. Hey, Steve. Hey, Sonali. How's it going? Yeah, not too bad. It's been a bit of a, a hectic week. Um, we've had another big drop at Green Queen. So before we get into the news, I do want to share that um, I've been working with a couple of researchers for the last three months on um, this incredibly comprehensive guide to ultra processed foods and plant-based meats. The idea was to kind of answer every question that we've ever received or that I've ever received either through Green Queen or on panels or in my conversations um, with folks from all kind of different backgrounds. Um, and the idea was to create a resource that could be uh, shared by anyone who needs it, whether it's you know anybody from a, an investor to a consumer, to an educator, to a founder, to anyone in, in plant-based brands or, or nutritionists. And, and so I worked with two amazing researchers, um, Marlana Malarich and Alice Johnson, researchers and scientists in, in, in food. And we, we've put together this very, very, very comprehensive and exhaustive look at every possible question you could have on the topic. Just because it's been a bit relentless, the misinformation and the confusion and the lack of nuance and the polarization um, around the discussion on UPFs and plant-based meats. And so we felt it was really necessary to create this resource. And there's no protect, there's no ideology behind it. No one, it's not, it's not trying to get anyone to eat any particular way. It's specifically trying to answer questions using all the available research that's out there. Um, and and trying to keep any kind of ideology out of it. So so yeah, so we we launched that last night and we've been sharing it with the world. And so far it's getting a really good, um, really good response and we hope that it will be used, every, you know, everywhere across the food world and beyond to help folks make decisions and, and clarify topics, you know, around this kind of, this, this, this issue that's become incredibly polarized in the mainstream media and on social media. Yeah, I mean, this is awesome. So obviously, you've been telling me about this in the background that you've been working on it for quite some time and i think it's 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 really worth calling out that you were not kidding when you said that your goal was to answer every question you've ever <laughs> received on the topic um when you mentioned it to me originally i like it sounded like the most daunting project ever like that's there's so much that you need to go over you you and and the team you worked with did an awesome job and i i only Thing I'll, I'll call out that, I, that was the big takeaway for me was what you mentioned was that this was not based on ideology. It was not based on trying to push plant-based forward in a way that is, is ideo ideological. It is very fact-based. If, if it is not fact-based, then it's not in this piece. So I think for people, um, regardless of where they stand on, on ultra-processed foods, on plant-based meats or the plant-based space in general, this is a great resource. So for everyone out there, check it out. It's really, really good. Oh, that, yeah. Thank you so much, Steve, for, for saying that. And one of the biggest compliments we got was from a, a regen, regenerative meat enthusiast who 
who looked through it and and told us that yeah it was it was it really made him think and it it was a really it was the first time he'd seen information around the topic that just didn't feel like an attack on some on his on his views and it felt accessible and 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 balanced and that's really the biggest compliment we could get i i i am not a scientist or a researcher i'm a reporter and an editor um and especially these days i'm, I'm very much an editor and i spent my job was you know along with kind of pulling the project together um and having the vision um, my job was really a lot of it on tone and and just editing the text to make sure that it was just as balanced and neutral as possible so that everyone felt, um, you know, included and empowered when they were reading it. Because it's become very difficult to find um, information that is neutral. Um, and, and no, I, absolutely. And, and I think that it's not valuable anymore to have opinion pieces out there. If, if you want opinion pieces, leave it to the VCs like me who just like <laughs> run my mouth and, and say whatever I want to say, but it's, it's based on very, very little fact. Like what you put out there is, is unbiased and, and fact-based and that's, that's what we need. Um, well, we're, thank you. And we're really excited to have it out in the world. And so anyone listening, please share it, please, please have a look at it. We'd love to hear what you think. Um, there are 21 questions in total. It's a monster. I mean, we're not expecting everyone to read everything. And the idea was people can jump around. So it's in the FAQ um, kind of format. We've already had people ask us if we can create a PDF report from it. So we'll look into it. But um, I, I hope to to be able to uh, work on more things like this. This this was very much pro bono. There's absolutely no sponsorship. Um, all three of us worked on it completely uh, for free. And obviously we, we used green queen to, to put it out. Um, but there was no monetary, uh, incentive whatsoever. It really came from, Hey, we, we need a resource that we can point to. So I'm hoping to do more things like that. Um, as the year goes on, um, and as we, we desperately need more kind of neutral, uh, resources for folks to navigate all these very difficult questions around food systems adaptation and future food innovation. So that that is not the news. Um, but thanks for letting me chat a little bit about that. It was a, it was a labor of love. So I, I really want to shout out and, and just really big, big, big thank you to Alice and Marlana for their invaluable work. And a big thank you to Robbie Lockie who helped us with the graphics and to um, the lovely Amy from GFI, Amy Williams, who helped uh, edit her edits were, especially around the research, were invaluable. So it really was a, a group effort. And um, I nerded out like a crazy person. And I hope to do that again. Love nerding out on research. Um, but yeah, and, and let's not let's not forget about how much I helped. I, I got to read it. And I said, <laughs> this is really good. So I, I mean, that's, that's, uh, I think that was kind of like the, the make or break feedback you needed, right? It, I mean, I don't think I would have felt comfortable putting it out in the world if you hadn't given me that vote of confidence, that green light. I, I, <laughs> I may have been the most important person of, of this entire project. Potentially, potentially. <laughs> so yeah, um, the big story this week 
Um, we're spending a lot of time on cultivated meat. Obviously, last year, the big story was that Aleph Farms got the green light for a commercial sale in Israel. And I thought it would be very helpful. Anae and I got together, my my lead reporter, and said, let's 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 kind of look at where we are on the regulatory front across the world for cultivated meat because it does feel like there's these two competing momentums where you've got, you know, progress happening in Israel, you've got progress happening in Singapore. To some extent, there's been some very strong progress like federally in the US, but then you have all these this negative progress happening in certain countries in Europe with Italy and then France and then now Austria. Um, and then, and, and, and basically um, now individual US states are starting to say they wanna ban cultivated meat. Like Texas had started and, and we had written about Florida. Now there's two Congress folks from Arizona. Um, so, so you've got on one hand, there's progress happening and um, especially, for example, in Australia and New Zealand, their joint regulator is looking at VAO's um, cultivated quail. And it's really looking, if, if I were a betting woman, I would say it, by Q2, there, there could potentially be an approval from them. Um, and then the Singapore FSA is still looking at um, a, a handful of companies, including VAO as well, but also Mosameet and Meetable from the Netherlands um, and a couple of others. So it, it feels like there's a momentum happening where um, the, the, there are certain governments that are really looking to progress here and, and see cultivated meat as, you know, a potential deep tech innovation solution for food security. And then you've got this other, you know, kind of movement happening where cultivated meat has become this barometer for being anti-nationalist and anti-farmer um, in places like Europe and the U.S. where farming is, is very closely connected and, and livestock farming is very closely connected to national identity for far-right part of political parties. So yeah, so that's, we wanted to kind of show where we're at and kind of talk about these two kind of competing forces. Yeah, I think this is a really good summary. And um I, I, it does seem like 2024 is going to be a very big year on the regulatory front for for cultivated. Um, it, it's it's not not maybe one or two approvals, but it could be possibly a lot or possibly bans, right? And I I think like what what like I think of when I see this is like again thinking of like portfolio companies we have or even a lot of the car companies that we didn't ultimately invest in, but I talk to all the time. I I think like. I would try to urge some of these companies to try not to get caught up in the hype of, of being the next one to get regulatory approval uh, and instead really wait until they're ready to get something approved that is a process that has the potential to be scalable. And when I say potential, it's because we don't know that any of these are, are definitely scalable. This has never been done before, but um it, you don't want to create a, a process that's that's not scalable, get it approved, and then you have to do the whole process over again um, when you, you figure out a, a different way to produce things. And then and then aside from that, the thing that's top of mind for me is that I've been I've been investing in this space for a number of years and um, both in the earlier days and, and now there's 
a lot of investors I've come across who they like the idea, they think it's really interesting, they know how it's beneficial to the planet, but there's a lot of investors who really don't like to take on risk that is regulatory risk. They, it feels like it's too far outside of their control and outside of the company's control. And yes, the companies can work with regulators to help them understand the process and, and, and walk them through things. But there's, there's a whole swath of the investment community out there that just says, if there is regulatory risk that's really heightened with any type of investment, then they like to avoid it. And we're kind of seeing um, that come to fruition a little bit here, right? Like you're saying, like um, there have been bans in Italy and then France, Austria, and then in, in the U.S. There's like Arizona, Florida, different states are trying to ban it. They haven't officially done it. And on one hand, that kind of validates the regulatory risk side of things that investors I know um, have been worried about. But then on the other hand, there's also this idea that none of these companies are going to be producing amounts that will flood the market and completely take over the meat space. So maybe they just avoid those jurisdictions or those countries that are, are banning it. Um, but either way, I, I, my head always just goes to the founders and how they're thinking about it. What's their approach to regulatory risk? Um, but yeah, I mean, that was kind of top of mind for me, but I, I love the, the summary of it. And I think it's going to be a big year on the regulatory front. I agree. And I like your, I like your comment to startups to not get caught up on being the next one. I think we've had a lot of firsts and a lot of kind of record breakers, but now it really is like about, you know, having meeting technical milestones and, and, and kind of being prepared for what regulatory approval means. And it, it you know, it, it needs to be more than, you know, just a headline. Um, and, and also, I think one thing I do hear from a lot of other startups in the space is that they look to some of these leading companies as kind of bellwethers and guideposts for how they should be pursuing their startup journey, you know, in terms of regulation. So it's almost like these startups are the big brothers and big sisters of, of the rest of the industry. And it's, it's important that they're, you know, making sure that they know they have that role as, as the leaders. Yeah. And let's never forget that anybody who has older siblings out there, the older siblings had it the hardest <laughs> and then it gets easier for the younger ones because the yeah, parents kind of, kind of, they've done know, it before. <laughs> we are both older siblings, so we can safely say that, right? Yeah. I mean, luckily I also, I do have one older sister who she, it was much harder for her. So um, we, we like to think we paved the way for my, our younger siblings, but um, I can't, I take, can't take the full credit of, of that on my own. <laughs> <laughs> so what else caught your, caught your eye this week? Yeah. The thing that, that, that stood out to me was at first I'm like, oh, well, there's, there's actually a couple of things on the M&A front in here, which is not always the case. And that's really interesting, but I actually wanted to talk about, uh, two other things that I'm kind of combining. So the, the first one is um, around solar foods. So solar foods, for anyone who's not familiar with it, they're, they're a, a Finnish company and they, they take an approach called gas fermentation. And all, all that this is, is um, they, they produce a protein where uh, they have a microorganism that consumes gases. And then, but in this case, a lot of CO2. 
and then it, it results in this this microorganism being a a very highly nutritious but also highly sustainable protein ingredient. And for for years, Solar Foods and other companies like Air Protein um, that are using gas fermentation, it's been this like really cool idea because it's like wow, we don't need any land anymore. And actually, what the input is is greenhouse gases. So is this crazy sustainable uh, and and it could be a new protein that has high nutrition and it's a, it builds this really big vision and everyone gets super excited about protein from air and it could be used in space and all that. And that is all very true. And the interesting thing about this in this newsletter is that Solar Foods is now uh, creating a limited edition snack bar using Solene, which is the name of the protein that, that they're making. And they're, they're, they're rolling it out for, um, for a limited amount of time. So it's just, it's the proteins in a snack bar. And that's very exciting on, on one hand, because it's, it's never been done. And now this, this vision is coming to, to reality or to fruition. But on the other hand, it really stood out to me that now, yes, they still have to scale up and, and do this at a, to a bigger scale to create impact, but now they're just a food ingredient company. So the, all of the vision, the mission, all that, that's still there and it could potentially have a massive impact, but it's now just an alternative to soy protein, pea protein, or another protein, whatever, whatever you want to pick. And they just have to scale up by being good at selling this ingredient. And I, I wanted to combine that with this idea that also in the newsletter, there's this piece that's about, it's called the five new year's resolutions for alt protein marketers. And this piece, I really like this because everyone likes to say how alt protein companies are doing marketing poorly, which I, I think they are, but then they don't really give much thoughts on what they should be doing. They, they, they just say, you shouldn't just be focused on price parity or taste parity. You need to do, you need to do more than that. This piece actually did dive into some really good suggestions of what companies could do to market their sustainable food products better. And I just think that like, it's like, okay, Solene or Solar Foods, they have your new protein, it's out there. And now it's time to just be a food company. And if you actually take some of the steps that's in that marketing piece, I think it could be helpful. But um, just just a, a, a big idea that I've always had where it doesn't matter what tech you have, at some point, you're really just selling a new new ingredient. Absolutely. And just a little bit, so... Yes, Solene is is really exciting, and it you know they've they've really been ramping up in terms of events and and launches. They they did a couple of tasting meals in Singapore, and you know their their protein, which is a powder, is really being ex used in by various chefs and food service uh company uh, kind of uh, partners, and so they're really kind of getting it out there and 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 testing it out, and it's really interesting. And from what I understand, because we had someone taste it on our behalf, but I, it wasn't me um, in Singapore because it's mostly in Singapore that they're doing these launches, which is interesting because they're a Finnish company. Um, again, another vote for Singapore as just like the central food tech city in, in APAC for sure. Um, but they, it, it's very versatile is what I've been told from um, people uh, who've, who've cooked with it from one of the chefs. And, and so it's, it's kind of very, uh, you, you can do a lot of different things with it. So it's not a texture play. It's a nutrition play. It's a protein play. 
Um, and of course, you know, if you're into sci-fi, protein made from air, I mean, it's, that is, that's really kind of, that's really where we're going if we're going to have to live on other planets, right? So it's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And, But, and, and like, it's exciting to hear that it has multiple applications beyond just like being included in, 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 in a recipe. And I think it's, it's such an, I can't wait to see how they, how they grow and how they market this. Uh, I'm sure they're going mainly B2B, which is a smart move, but they still have to market it to the B2B customers, but they can, they can do whatever they want. They can take the sustainability approach. They can take the nutrition approach. They can do whatever they feel makes the most sense, but it will kind of define what their growth trajectory looks like from here on out. Right. And it's, it's part of this growing kind of group of, of technologies and, and companies that are working in this kind of separating land from protein production, right? Because this is not going to require, this is protein that doesn't require the acres and acres of land that a lot of the, pro, most of the protein that we consume requires. So it's this kind of divorcing land and, and, and protein nutrition. It's really quite interesting. It's the same thing that's definitely happening with fats and anyway. So there's. Yeah. And, and there's not that many players doing it as, as cool as it is. It's, it is, it is pretty complex tech and other than gas fermentation, I know that there's players that are doing like methanol into, into protein or e-methanol, which could be renewable energy based methanol into protein. But again, really not that many, that many players that are doing that. The first company to do it, wasn't it, wasn't it the American company, um, Kiverti, Lisa Dyson doing air protein? Yeah, I believe so. I, I mean, I believe maybe, she's the maybe, star. maybe we're wrong on the first or not, but they, they were definitely like the initial leader that I, that Yeah. I, I saw emerge in the space. Yeah. And just a couple of words on the article you mentioned, the five lessons um, for all protein. So that's a series that we're doing with a couple of um, uh, marketers who have been working in food tech, um, Zoran and Jennifer. Uh, they've gotten together and they're they're launching this kind of content series called Unstuck and Green Queen is helping with diffusing some of their writing to start with. And their kind of angle is like they really want to talk straight to the industry and say what needs to be said um, when it comes to marketing and branding in the all protein industry. They feel like a lot of a lot of. Um, A, a lot of there have been a lot of missteps and a lot of things that haven't been done. And, you know, I've talked about this ad nauseum. We forgot to do consumer um, segmentation. We forgot to do all kinds of, of, of uh, you know, of basic marketing and branding work. And so they're coming in and, and saying what, what needs to be said. So that's kind of where that series came from. So this is their first piece and there's going to be another piece. And then we're going to look into Um, the potential to do a, a longer series. So stay tuned for their content. Very cool. Very cool. And, and what, what about you? What stood out to you this week? Um, what, there's so much going on. Um, I, as you know, food is, is, is how I think about everything. I love the story about 4C Foods, the Israeli company who just launched Um, the what they're calling the world's first cultivated eel um, with Tokyo restaurant Saito. Um, and they created they created a couple dishes, one of which is unagi kabayaki, 
which is this very, very uh, well-known popular Japanese dish um, whereby you have this grilled eel in this very kind of sweet um, and, and, and umami filled sauce that is served on rice. Um, and if you are Asian or if your mother grew up in Japan, like myself, um, I ate unagi karayaki kind of every weekend for years. And it's just this very kind of, it, it's just like a mainstay dish in Japan. Um, and kids eat it. It's, there are restaurants that are dedicated to that dish in typical Japanese fashion. So you would go and have unagi kabayaki at a special unagi kabayaki restaurant. And it's just, it's delicious and um, just very, very popular. But it is a dish that has um, been having issues for a few years because eel prices um, and eel supply has been really, really um, complicated. And most countries in the world do not eat eel as their main protein, but Japan is a country where eel is consumed in high quantities. And basically the price of eel has gone through the roof as a lot of Japanese eels, many of which are actually river species, um, have, have become endangered. Um, and eel is used in this dish, but also in sushi, so yeah, so the Japanese eat a lot of eel. Um, the French eat some eel. There's a few other countries where where eel is popular, but the Japanese really it's it's a big part of of their their culinary world. And there have been, uh, yeah, supply issues and pricing issues, and so there's definitely a need for alternatives. And I I really like the play of cultivated companies that are going for these kind of niche markets that where there's a price crunch, you know, sort of like gourmet in France going for foie gras, where there's a real ethical um, issue and there's a, there's a regulatory issue and there's the fact that it is an expensive product. So you don't need to reach supermarket pricing and it's similar with eel. So I, I just really like the story. And congrats to 4C, which, which is an Israeli company, but is doing, is getting a lot of traction in Japan. Yeah, I like this one too. And it's it's funny. The only reason I know anything about eel is because I, I spoke with 4C sometime, I think it was sometime last year. And I, I really like the founder. I like their approach and, and, and what they're doing. Um, and and to your point, there is kind of a, a much easier path to market for this because it's 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 different than chicken or beef or, or pork where there's not really at this point in time, there's not really any talks of risk of it, it running out or disappearing, or uh, yes, there's talks of, of price increases over time, depending on how the supply chain looks or, or things of that nature. But it's, those are really commodities and, and eels are not, and you already hit on all this. I don't need to go into it any, any deeper than that, but for, for a cultivated play, just, it makes a lot of sense when, Yes, it's going to be a, it's already at a high price point, but there's also that risk that it just disappears. So since it is so embedded in the cultures that eat eel, as, as you mentioned, especially in, in Japan, if it all of a sudden disappears in its conventional form, I, I do think that the the cultural desire to keep eating it will make it much easier to overcome any barriers that people might have eating other cultivated products like chicken or, or beef or, or things of that nature. 
Um, so it's an interesting one. And also for what it's worth, I, I learned a lot about eels when I was talking to Corsi and it, the eels are crazy. Like the baby eels are, are, are called glass eels and they basically look like glass. Like they're completely see-through. And then as they get older, they change color and then ultimately lay eggs and start new, new glass eels. But um, the point that you made about river eels, apparently these eels cannot like no one's figured out a way to have eels reproduce in captivity. So that's one of the biggest issues of the supply aspect of they're looking, they need to go to the rivers to get these eels in order to get new glass eels that ultimately will, will grow into full, full grown eels. Um, so you can't even do conventional animal farming with this type of animal, which is a good thing from a, an animal welfare standpoint, but just a pretty fascinating species. Absolutely. And um, I mean, when I was younger, I thought it was delicious. Um, obviously, I haven't eaten it in a really long time, but perhaps this is my way again. Um, this so, is it. This is your way back in. So, what else? What else caught your caught your eye? Yeah, I mean, to to end it on the positive note, like we always like to do. Like, there, there's actually a couple of things, but the one that I liked the most was um, it, it was towards the bottom of the newsletters, the Emirates Airlines. They, they just announced that they have a 300 strong, quote unquote, vegan vault of in-flight meals. So I guess they have 300 different options that are that are vegan for, for customers. And the reason that they're doing this is not just because they're pushing it, but because of the demand that they saw. So over the past year, they saw that the, the overall number of meals increased or the overall number of meals that were requested to be vegan increased by 60%. Um, and when you take into account the, the difference in uh, how many passengers actually flew on Emirates Airlines, this, this number from like a dollars or an apples to apples standpoint was a 40% increase in demand for onboard plant-based dishes. And that is huge. Like we, we, we sit here and we talk about like the overall plant-based market and how much it's growing year over year. And there's been some, some, a little bit of plateauing over the past few years, which is not what we want to see. But for some reason on this airline, uh, they're seeing for a 40% increase in demand for, for vegan dishes year over year. And I don't know why, but it's great to see. And it's also great to see them, them responding. There's, they're seeing that increase and they're saying, well, we're going to change our menu. We will give you more options. And, and I, I don't see that on, U.S.-based airlines, I, I, I have very limited options every time I fly. Um, so just thought it was super, super cool. I agree. And, you know, I live in Asia where we are blessed with some of the best airlines in the world. Um, and it's interesting, you know, obviously we're the, Asia is the home of Singapore Airlines, the home of Cathay Pacific, just, just really, really like excellent carriers in terms of service and and environment of the and and the plane quality and they often are at the top of the ranks and it's and Emirates is also usually at the top of the list these are these are the world's always voted the world's best airlines and so it's interesting to me that these are the airlines because we did a piece on Cathay Pacific a few months ago um, who had added some new vegan uh, dishes to their menu and it's just interesting you know that these are the airlines that are offering customers range and options um, because 
if you think about vegan food in restaurants, Asia and the Middle East are not at the forefront of it at all, right? There's a lot more happening in the US and the UK and in Europe. And yet airline-wise, because they're, they're, they're looking to be excellent when it comes to service, it's Asian and Middle Eastern airlines who are you know the top of their game that are offering choice and diversity. And it's just also a reminder that vegan meals on airlines are not just for vegans. You know, there are people with allergies, there are people with religious dietary restrictions, cultural uh, dietary restrictions. You know, in, in Asia, every, every carrier will have a vegetarian Indian meal, right? Because Indian travelers are a very important group. And a lot of Indians who are not 100% vegetarian may be vegetarian in certain on certain days of the week. So you need to have that option. Whereas if you go on an American airline and you there there's no Indian vegetarian meal. And, and I think Cathay Pacific has something crazy like 20 different meal options in a dropdown that you can choose from. Not I'm not talking dishes. I'm talking dietary um, description, including things like you can there. I, I don't know if they still do it, but for years I used to order the raw vegan meal on Cafe Pacific, not just vegan, raw vegan. So yeah, there's all kinds of choices um, on these airlines that are trying to really be at the top of their service game. And it's, it's great to see. And I mean, 300 vegan recipes, Emirates, good job. That's, that's choice. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. It's, it's a little bit better than the potential chance that you can get a, a bag of tiny bag of pretzels on a U.S. based airline. Um, that, that's basically all you can get in these days. <laughs> well, um, I don't know what this says about American food culture, but last time I was on an American airline, which was a few months ago, they, uh, the airline had a, had a collaboration with that chef, Christina Tosi, who came out of um, Momofuku and she has the milk bar. So you could get the really, really, her really, really coveted sweet desserts <laughs> that were, Full. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, that's but full of sugar. <laughs> that sounds about right. Pretty, pretty <laughs> American there. Um, and and I also like on this one. I'd love to like. I wish I could know like what the breakdown of passenger type is. Like, why is there a forty percent increase in demand in plant based? Like, who are the people flying? Is it based on them? Is it just based on the the idea that when you're in an airport or on a plane, you're just you're just adventurous from a meal standpoint where it's totally acceptable to have a drink at 9 a.m. in an airport and no one will look at you and think you're weird um, or have a plant-based meal and that's that's your opportunity to try something new. I, I have no idea, but um, hopefully we'll see this type of consumer demand increase outside of Emirates Airlines. Well, I could flip that though. It, could it also be that people choose vegan because they don't want to eat some kind of mystery meat in the middle of the air? That's a very good right. Like thought. I feel like there's like I see your point, but I also feel like there were many times when I wasn't necessarily vegan where I just meat was not the number one thing I wanted on a plane. Like I remember thinking sausages were it just felt gross to eat that on a plane. So I don't know. I feel like there are probably people that skew like 
let's skip the the meat in an airplane scenario even even though they might get off the plane and grab a steak i don't know no it's a good point i i think there's just as good a chance of that as anything but i mean yeah, meat it, that was secured in some random metal container stacked in an airplane for for hours doesn't really sound that appetizing so maybe maybe that's it emirates if you're listening we'd like more information about who these people are but you know in in uh in 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 actual absolute terms we're talking about 280 meals in 2022 that are that were vegan to 450 sorry 280,000 to 450,000 in 2023 so incredible numbers so yeah that's a great story to end on fly emirates folks if you're vegan looks like that's the best airline for your for your culinary desires and um, we'll, we'll be back next week with more future food news. Um, a couple of housekeeping things. Um, I have been getting a lot of emails, pitches for guests uh, and interviews on this podcast. So just to be clear with everyone, the podcast format is Steve and I discussing the news. It's not an interview podcast. Although Steve, we should, we should potentially put that on the list of things to consider. Do we want to, you know, start adding an interview component? Something to think we about. Could, we could try it, but I mean, I don't know how to inter interview people. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting so many pitches, which is nice because it means people are, well, one, the podcast is getting out further, but also sometimes I kind of, I'm like, are you, have you listened to the podcast? Do you see the format? <laughs> We've and no one wants to, no one wants to hear me butcher an interview where I'm like, scrambling to figure out the next question well i you're selling yourself short but anyway <laughs> um okay on the list cooking section and potential interview section that's that's what people are wanting so stay tuned i love it all right have a great week everyone and we'll see you next week see you next week